With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oh, jeez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. Hey, listener, do you have a story to tell? Just like the podcast you're listening to now? With Acast, it couldn't be easier to start a podcast. We have all the essential tools you need. From recording and editing audio to sharing and promoting your show, you can even make money from your podcast all in one place. Basically, we handle all the boring stuff, so you can focus on having fun and creating exactly what you want to share with the world. Get started with a three-month trial of our paid plan using the promo START. Just visit go.acast.com slash start. This is the this is the MS version of beating Spurs. <laughs> when Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. That's Pierre! Welcome back to the Different Knock Podcast, episode number Fat Fucking Dub, with Alexander Moneypenny <laughs> and my very good friend, Bradley Adams. Oh, Come on, the Arsenal. At the Gooners. Oh. What a dub. At the fucking oh. Gooners. Brad's oh. got his Arsenal mug out for this. He's wearing an Arsenal top. I'm wearing an Arsenal top. We're fully kitted out. We're full kit wankers. Mate, how you feeling? I'm just uh, sipping on a cup of... Uh, uh, Jose and Jermaine Genus's tears right now. There we go. <laughs> a delightful mix. <laughs> How you feeling, man? Salt, nice and salty. It's got like a nice little salty mm. tone. Somehow, I'm fucking great. <laughs> oh, yeah, mate. I, yeah, honestly, mate. that last I sent. I, I think I sent you a picture of me with my my fucking hood up. In yeah. a hoodie zipped up to my face. <laughs> oh my like God. and that is how I watched the last ten minutes of that match because we've not beaten them since the four two at um at the Emirates in twenty eighteen. We've not beaten them since twenty eighteen. Oh yeah, because we drew we drew with them at home. Yeah. Because it's there's been there's been a there's been a couple of draws and then obviously the last time we played them we lost two nil. So yeah. like, this is Yeah. And it, it, it like because the league I, f- I think has just been a bit well, it's obviously been quite shit this year, and if even though you know Mikel came out um, and said, I think in a presser either either today like or or yesterday that he's not discounting top four until it's mathematically impossible, which yeah, yeah, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. But because it feels impossible at the moment, 
you just mm. want to be beating your rivals. That is the moment sure. that you're living for at the moment. And and I want to say, like, to anyone listening, I've I kind of had a little moment, like a little chat with myself last night. I think we're so involved, especially if you're like you know big Arsenal fan. You're so involved in the process. You're so involved in squad building and getting to the summer and all this sort of stuff. Just enjoy this moment. Just enjoy. Oh, yeah. Enjoy that picture of Arteta with with Tierney with Jose. Enjoy yeah, Jermaine Genius. Oh. Enjoy it all because these moments are what we are going to look back on and love. And like it's it's just such a great moment. Enjoy salty it's Tottenham so fans call saying that. Um, oh, I it was on one of them. Um, oh, one of them uh, that uh, some Tottenham fan under a, a thread talking about the Lacazette penalty said, "Well, you know, if Lacazette doesn't scuff the shot." Um, then it, it could have been a perfect block or a perfect tackle from Davison Sanchez. And well, if your aunt had balls, she'd be your uncle. <laughs> <laughs> to steal that very, very famous clip from the, what is it, the Liverpool fan TV. If my grandmother had the wheels, she would have been a bike. <laughs> would have been a bike, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, mate, the, the salt Yeah, the salt dreaming. is unreal. It's unreal. Ugh. In our worst season, in our worst season in my lifetime, in like 40 years... They were still too scared to come out and attack us. Yeah, yeah. Did you see the uh, the, the post match with Jose where he's like, uh, uh, "Where's the the referees? You have the referees?" He's like, "Oh no, they're, they're not coming out." He goes, "It's a pity." <laughs> <laughs> I do it's love just... him. Like, I hate him, but I do love like, him. I hate. I I despise. Like, I despise him as a human, but he's quite funny. Um. But it's like um, it's like Jermaine Genius, Genius, certainly not. Butter Genius, certainly not. Jermaine Genius, when that penalty incident happened, tweeted uh, VAR and a bunch of clown emojis. Yeah, like yeah, it wasn't given by VAR. If VAR didn't yeah. exist, the penalty still gets given. Yeah, it, well, well, listen, it's Michael, Michael Oliver, the referee, gave the penalty. It doesn't if if you didn't have VAR, it would have been a penalty. And these are the people that are informing football fans. These are the people that are paid to give people expert knowledge. Stick us on Sky Sports. Um, oh, we'd be a, we'd be a lot better than Jamie Redknapp and that lot. Fuck me. That I will take. Dullish that shite. I will take. Dullish shite. Um Yes, listen. So let's get into it. Arsenal two one at the Emirates. Uh, Martin Odegaard's first goal for the club and a Lacazette penalty. Uh, Cancelling out. Don't forget that screamer. Oh, sorry. Yeah, first goal for uh, in the Premier League for Arsenal. Um, oh, do you want do you want a fun little stat about that goal as well before we get onto it? Always. Martin Odegaard has played one game against the traditional top six yeah. and has got more goals from open play than Bruno Fernandes against the top six. Oh, you'd love to see it. That's a great stat. I'm getting that tattooed. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Um, before we start, Brad, I do just want to play a quick... Oh, I love it. Before we start, I do just want to play a quick game. Okay. And that game is, how many of the Spurs players would murder you for a pack of Chewies? Just on looks. Just on looks. Because I was looking at them yesterday and I was going, right, Matt Doherty, you're gone. You're dead. Yeah. He's got, he's got, fire. He's got fire in his eyes. Yeah. I reckon I reckon Pierre Emil Hoiberg, I reckon he's he's got a hit out on you. Oh, he would yeah. probably pay he'd probably be paid along with Alderweireld. Lamella is a dirty little prick. Oh. He is a prick, mate. He can fuck off. I I I rarely dislike players as much as I do with Eric Lamella. There's very there's in fact I probably can name you two or three others who I just dislike. Yeah. And he is one of them. I do not like him. He's just dirty, a dirty and wanker. he knows it as well. Yeah. 
And he no, he's a wanker. And, and, and like, he... it, like people will call it gamesmanship or <clears throat> the dark arts of football, but the dark arts of football is drawing contact, going down, and getting a foul. Yeah, not smacking someone in the face, not kicking somebody in the shit. That's not the dark arts of football. That's just being a right. wanker. And you know, we can come. We'll come onto it later when it happened in the game, but. The Harry Kane moment. That's just being a wanker. Like, mate, they're just full Kane of dirty get you cunts. For a pack of chewies. They're just dirty cunts. Look, Doherty, Hoiberg, Alderweireld, Kane, they'd all go. That you'd be dead, mate. If you if if it, they'd kill you over anything. I hate them all. Bale. Bale. It's also so not a Bale would as well. It's also so nice to get this win as well because it is against the Jose Mourinho Spurs, which is like, it's like yeah. sort of adding. Adding sort of, it's like, like it's like two wins almost. It's like it's yeah. like it doubles the. Like I love beating Spurs, but there is nothing better than beating Jose Mourinho Spurs. Yeah. Like he'd murder you for a package. This is like well. the this is the this is the M and S version of beating Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's get into the game. Quality then. content, quality this content, is top quality content. This. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm, all, uh, do... I'm having another cup of coffee let's go okay uh, Arsenal already have more points uh, with 10 against the big six this season than they managed in the whole of the last campaign with 9 oh Jesus that is so, fucking mental let's get into it then and I think probably let's get the big discussion out of the way first um, Cedric start no stupid joke um, the Abamyang decision yeah so it came out before the game that Arteta, uh, Arteta had taken Aubameyang out uh, for disciplinary reasons. It later came out sort of just as the game started. I think the Athletic reported that he was late. Um, he uh, looked pretty miserable on the bench the whole game. He didn't come on. And then it sounded as though I think there's a clip going around of him um, that he didn't do the warm up and uh, the warm down. Sorry. And he left in his Aubameyang style like Lamborghini, whatever it is. Um, I bet he calls it like the Abambagini or something. Um, uh, just as Jose was doing his post match, so he obviously I think he left like twenty three minutes after we finished the game. Um, wh- what's your take on it? I-, I have a pretty cut and dry feeling on it. I feel. I think it's the right. Uh, it's uh, if the game ends one nil to Spurs, uh, it- it's a different story. You know, we have the luxury of talking about this from a viewpoint of we won the game anyway. So. I think that's the first kind of bit of context to stick out there is that both of our opinions will would have changed probably if we'd lost. But we didn't, so we can only talk about this. I think it's the right decision because you do, you have to crack down on these things. But one thing that uh, I worry about and that I think that there's been a lot of issues with is man management within the club at the moment. And I think that Mikel, unfortunately, does have to take the blame for some of it in that there was a culture created by playing Willian post his Dubai antics and by allowing that to happen and not be punished, that people start to um, take leeways. It's almost like imagine that, that there's a rope and you've got you've got people each pulling on this rope. And if you allow somebody enough slack on theirs, everyone else who is pulling on other ropes will expect the same. And especially when he's captain of the football club. Yeah, go for it, mate. Sorry, can I just offer something? On Willian, we don't know whether Willian was punished, but I think... No, but he started the next game. 
as in he may have been fined a week's wages, may have been fined two weeks' wages, but you're right, what happened was he wasn't publicly admonished for that happening. Yes. As in it was dealt with internally, but it's it, it, Arteta, by making this decision, and I'll let you finish your point, but I just wanted to, to add a caveat to that, that we don't know whether he was or he wasn't, but I do agree that publicly there's a thing there's a there's something here where you know if you drop a player in a north london derby that's going to get pressed do you know what i mean a hundred percent yeah and i just i just think that there is this undercurrent at the moment and you're seeing players like saliba coming out uh, uh, in an interview and saying you know he judged me off of two games and then didn't give me the opportunity to play because of the way that his situation was handled in the fact that we didn't get him out on loan until January and he wasn't on any of the benches and it's the same with a lot of these things that like there's a Gwendozi interview out tomorrow it has, interesting. yeah th- there's a Gwendozi out interview out tomorrow which again you know you look at his behavior now obviously there's unconfirmed but almost confirmed reports of the incident that happened in Dubai and you obviously have the Neil Moore pay moment Dubai. um and you I think the Gwendouzi one is is really difficult because you don't know. Again, it's the thing. You don't know what's happened behind closed doors. And obviously, you know, even though there was a photo that came out of Aubameyang stuck in traffic on his way to the game, apparently this has happened more than once. So I agree with this decision. Because he's been at the club for, what, two years now? Uh, Just over two years? Signed January 2018, yeah. So he's driven to the stadium before and he should like any any professional working human being knows to get there 15 minutes before your shift starts so it is unacceptable that he was late but the issue is is the culture created by allowing other people in the public eye to get away with it and at the end of the day like we we talk about footballers getting fined right and say like oh it's a week it's nothing to them a week of Aubameyang's wages is three times probably what my mum earns in a year. Like, he he's driving home in a mom, car Your mum's earning a lot, mate. <laughs> oh, I, I, well, to be fair, I don't know what he's on. What is he on, like, 150 yeah, yeah. grand? No, actually, he's probably on, like, it's like 300, yeah. Oh, oh, then it's like six or eight times what my mum earns yeah. in a year. Jesus Christ. It's yeah. not going to make a dent. The man is driving home in a car worth his weekly wage. Like, finding a footballer isn't the thing a lot of the time that will have an effect on their disciplinary issues. Dropping them is the thing. Mm. And especially once you have... And again, we're talking about economics when we're a fucking football car podcast. But once you have a shitload of money, you put your money in the right places and it will make you a shitload more money. And it will, like, a week's wages to Willian, he'll probably make with the fucking restaurants that he owns in London or investments elsewhere. It means nothing to these people. But dropping them from matches, not giving them game time and admonishing admonishing them, like you say, in the public eye is a very, very different stance. Yes. And I do, it, it really, and you know, I've said this before with you that I'm, I am worried about a lot of ways that kind of this club is going when it comes to Mikel, because I do worry that there is a lot of arrogance there that is going to hold him back in that he will be the kind of killer of his own Arsenal tenure if he continues to make the same mistakes when it comes to 
you know, which there's obviously we said about the um the Endicca news. We've got Saliba, who's had less injuries in his career, seems less injury prone and is absolutely balling out in Nice. Why are we going to go spend money on a new young French centre back when we've already got one? It's it's all of these things that do just make me really worried that there is an issue with how we are dealing with when it comes with 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 all of our players moving forward because Guendouzi has just been named captain for the France Euro under 21s team for this summer there's obviously not something massively wrong with his attitude when it comes to other aspects you know he's been starting for Hertha Berlin he's now that there is obviously friction and an issue with Mikel if he does leave and there is continued issues I just start to wonder whether 50% of that is Mikel's fault as much as we've kind of shifted or the club has shifted 100% of the blame onto Gwendouzi. And I know we've jumped around everywhere and we're miles away from the Aubameyang. No, but it's, it's, it, it, com- it comes out but of it. it and I, th- I, th- I think you're talks right. Talks to a culture. Yeah, just to come to a couple of points on that, I think, you know, very quickly before we get into the game, you know, I think there's a thing about, you know, Willian Arteta hanging his hat on Willian a little bit. I think you're right that, you know, there's a culture issue potentially that could be a part of Arteta kind of changing the, you know, uh, what's the word kind of paraphernalia from, from, from Arteta changing the culture, things that happen because of that kind of changing culture, a young coach who's learning, making mistakes on the Aubameyang thing specifically though, I think he made the exact right decision. Listen, he's the captain of the club. It's the North London Derby. Okay. He's stuck in traffic, but I don't believe that Mikel would have, would have dropped him from the, from the squad for, for you know, for no reason, like okay, yeah, maybe Unless maybe there this was... was a persistent issue, and I think which it was, is, which and, it and has some... come out that it ha- is said, you know, exactly, and, and and it's something that has been consistently problematic. Supposedly, he missed a COVID test uh, earlier on in the year. There was something about him going breaking uh, COVID restrictions to go and get a tattoo. There was something around, uh, yeah, and obviously, he's had all that time off to go and support his family. Now, that's really important. And the club did the right thing, but when you have all that support from a club. You then have to respect have that, to, and you have yeah. to you have to go. Okay, I appreciate what you've done for me, and I'm going to give you my utmost professionalism. And as a, as an example, you know, you look at that front. Our best players today are our youngest players. We've got mm-hmm. Emil Smith Rowe, Martin Erdegaard, Saka. You know, is always decent. You know, Tierney, Gabriel, young young players who are are balling out for us. And we have a, a captain who is at the, you know, not at the end of his career, but coming towards the end of his career, who needs to set an example. 100%. And I think this was a turning point for Mikel. I do want to make this point really, really clearly. I think we'll look back on this in a year, two years, three years' time, if the Arteta project goes well, and we'll go, that was a day, not only a turning point for Mikel, actually, I think it'll be a turning point for Jose as well, but a turning point for Mikel where he made a big boy decision, because that is a big boy decision let's be clear about that that is a that is a very very big decision to make yeah dropping your captain for the north london derby is huge because and listen we've all been late once or twice it's a culture decision it's going listen i have to put the culture of the club over my result today which is and we know as you said the result would have impacted how we view this if we come out of this game and 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 and, you know been better than the whole game but not found that breakthrough and not had that goal and Aubameyang hadn't come on there'd be people asking for Mikel's head but he made a big decision and I think he'll look back on that and his authority only grows from here and I think um yeah it remains to be seen around Guendouzi and Willian and and you know Saliba and certain conversations around that but I think this is a this is something that 
that just stamps Arteta's authority even further. Absolutely. I think this situation is just the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, there has been persistent issues with Aubameyang and his attitude at times. You know, like you say, breaking protocol to get tattoos. And obviously, they've come out and said that missing COVID tests and all of these things. And missing COVID tests is a massive thing because the entire ecosystem of 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 sport at the moment relies on the ability to test players to make sure they're negative so they can play so i think that's why this decision is justified and i don't disagree with it i just think that it's important for it to shift the conversation towards has mikel created this issue himself by allowing quite uh, because the the addition of all of abamyang's behaviors probably equals what happened to what happened with William flying out of the country, going to a foreign country and breaking protocol and all of this. But they were treated differently. And I just I just I wonder whether and it is a genuine question, one that we will never know the answer to, whether he is responsible for kind of these little um uh, like bites at the apple from certain players with Saliba coming out and saying, well, you know, he judged me on two games and then decided I wasn't good enough with Matteo Guendouzi coming out and saying that Unai Emery is the best manager he's ever played under with all of these incidents. They're all people taking shots at Mikel because of the way they view they've been treated versus other people. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Pepe, started making comments and things like this because we're constantly told that he's no good against the low block and that he can't unlock defenses and put, he's put in the best pass of the game and won us a won us a penalty pretty much with it so it it is there's there's a lot to get through and get into but i i think that is the fascinating kind of conversation that will come from this moment is who is culpable for this and hopefully moving forward this is a learning curve for everyone, for Arteta, for Aubameyang and for every single player at the club. Absolutely. Uh, right, let's get to the game then. Um, so mm. I do just want to highlight tactically what I think was a bit of a masterclass from Mikel in terms of learning from our mistakes. What we did today was such a difference subtly from that last from that last game in November. I remember I remember saying something on the podcast like watching that that sort of bottom left hand side of my screen for the last like 25 minutes of that game in November and just despairing at how many crosses we were putting in. What we did today was was excellent. We had runners off the ball, we had we were winning the ball crucially high up the pitch and winning those second duels and winning those second balls because those are the most important things against a team like Spurs who strangely sit in a in a high line but don't press, which is really odd. So they have a lot of players in this kind of chunk of the pitch, and you have to win those duels, otherwise they will knock it to Kane and so on, and they'll and they'll um, they'll they'll sort of go off with it. But I thought we were doing, and re- especially when you when you see how susceptible we have been to a high press previously. It was it was it was a very strange decision from them not to press. Exactly, and and I thought you know yes we were peppering crosses in, but we, the the crucial part is we were winning those second balls and those duels. We were playing the ball over the top. I think we noticed the high line and, and David Luiz and Gabriel playing some nice balls over the top. We were breaking that line, especially at right back. Um, with uh, with Doherty, who had a, had an absolute oh, mare. Doherty had an absolute disaster. But I thought, um, yeah, and, and and equally, we were breaking the lines differently. We, you know, I remember that game again in November where we just 
shunted it round the sides and we were being funneled down the sides and you know Bellerin and, and Tierney did their best I think it was Tierney that day but um, there's only so much you can do we were actually breaking the lines party was breaking the lines I was slightly concerned that this kind of structure might stop us breaking on the counter a little bit in that there was a few times where Spurs came forward and it didn't Leno had the ball and it felt like we were just waiting to get back into that shape and, and start the game again I think that's something that's going to develop as a team it will come as a team um, being able to notice those moments and not just sit in that structure but the structure is working for us and um, and, it, and it brought some great moments yeah and I think one of the the big differences and this is not to blame the player uh, but uh, between you know the 2-0 loss at their stadium versus this game is Gareth Bale you know uh, <laughs> putting in Gareth Bale and then not pressing high and not playing attacking football is pointless because he doesn't have a lot of defensive output so it then just meant that we doubled up on Doherty so easily so so easily and you know I mean he put in a great shift for the Arsenal as a lifelong Arsenal fan but you have to feel sorry for him because again and it's a conversation about Jose Mourinho he he just seems absolutely finished you know I and I was my my best mate from home is a Spurs fan and actually I'll read you this text because we were talking about the fact that both of us think that they need to get rid of Jose purely because, you know, he is massively holding where they are back. And you think that Son and and he says having Son and Bale in and Kane in this system is like having a V12 engine in a Corsa. Like Son and Kane are having the season of their lives and they're barely making top four. And he said, Jose is an institution, I guess. And having him has all sorts of pokes, uh, pokes, perks and makes a statement. It's just a shame that one of those perks isn't consistently winning games. Mm. Yeah, I think I think it is. It was a very strange setup from them. And they, you know, they they, they kind of did it in November. Like, I don't think this is a massively different Spurs team. If anything, they got a bit more settled with the Ndombele, um, Heuberg, uh, double double pivot, pivot kind of thing. Yeah. But we, I think you're right. Like, we just took the game to them. And I think they, they expected that, but not to the level we were doing and not to the... I think, you know, yeah. I can't imagine Arteta saying anything other than win those duels and that's what it came down to and we, we had that first sort of chance with um with Smith Rowe which came from Smith Rowe winning um winning a second ball and getting a shot off and, and hitting the bar uh came from him winning it high and I want, I want to highlight Smith Rowe because he was fantastic he created four chances today which is more than all the Spurs players put together he also had the best passing accuracy of any player in the game today with 97 percent Smith Rowe was fantastic. youngest player to do so since Sesk yeah, youngest player to create that many chances at that age, uh, at young age in a Premier League game since Cesc. He was like, unreal, unbelievable, and, and I think something that get, get, often doesn't get noticed is something we've talked about in this podcast before is his positional rotation. He kind of didn't did that less today because we were doubling up on Doherty, but his pace, he is quick. Smith Rowe is a lot quicker than people think he is. He's also a lot stronger than people think he is. I think just, you know, from the idea that he's a bit of a number ten, a bit of a glider, he's not that player. He's out on that left hand side doubling up. He also in our build-up, if you watch him, especially during that early period, he was often dropping back behind Tierney 
Tierney was going forward and Smith Rowe was dropping back sort of into the left-back role to pick up the ball and progress it. He's a fantastic outlet for us and I'd love to see him more on that left-hand side because he you know, I mean, he just beat Doherty so many times. Tierney, having that technical security on that side, someone who can keep the ball and retain the ball so well is so useful for progression and he was, I thought he was sensational today and he should absolutely take about. I, I hope he got man of the match. I don't know if he did. but um, No, Lucas Moore did. Yeah, um, and you know he. I mean, he got. Which, to be fair, I think was deserved. I think if there's if there's one player that you can realistically give a shout out to in that team, it's probably Lucas Mora. I thought you know for Spurs he put a shift in. Yeah, but again, yeah, back to Smith Rowe, sensational. Yeah, and it's almost getting to the level where he's performing so well that look, my opinion on Erdegaard is that if he's for sale and we can afford him, we need to move heaven and earth to keep him because I think that he would be a sensational addition. But if we don't, we've got Smithrow, who will who can take that number 10 spot next season and we'll just sign um we'll sign a deputy and have him play the first and just slightly tweak things and change things. But he's just for his age, he is unbelievably talented as well. He was yeah. he's just bossing it at the he, moment. Absolutely, and he was creating so many chances. He 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 was. We basically had most of our attacking threat down that left hand side. I think some Spurs fans have been like, "Why do we play Doherty with the agility and the aggression of that Arsenal left hand side? Why would you have a static guy who would looks like he would murder you down that right hand side?" And, and an Arsenal fan. Um, and yeah, I, I just thought he was fantastic. Smithrow led to the first. Both their right backs are Arsenal fans, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, led Harry to... Kane's an Arsenal fan for Christ's <laughs> they sake. They all are. <laughs> um, yes, Mourinho might be based on those tactics. Um, but I think you know he 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 was getting those balls into Lacazette. Uh, I don't want to kind of go too in on Lacazette. He did miss a couple of chances. I thought he was doing quite well structurally and 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 triggering the press and stuff. But. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. What what more can be said about Smith Rowe? He's, he's functional. Fantastic. He's like Lacazette's functional. That's what, like like he uh, he doesn't really offer us anything that we truly need. Like if he was maybe six inches taller and had fifteen to twenty percent more athletic ability, he would be sensational for us. But he's not. Yeah, and he also can't really finish. Yeah, so. It's just, it, it, it's a case of having him in because he tactically suits what we need to do. It's just, he doesn't do everything we need for that tactic, if yep. that makes sense. Yep. Because if you're looking at Aubameyang and you're looking at him, they're completely different profiles of player and they'll offer you completely different things. It's just, Lacquer obviously doesn't unfortunately offer us 100% of the things that we need for that tactic. Yep. I don't think. Anyway. For sure, for sure. Um, I thought another two things that we were doing really well was... Um, I wish Party wouldn't, but we were shooting a bit more from outside the box. He often drags them wide. Um, we were shooting a bit more. Erdegaard, I think Xhaka tried a shot at one point. Um, Lacazette might have done it. There was some more shots from outside the box. And also, we were um, there was we we clearly learned our lesson when Spurs were pressing us a bit more. Sort of once they'd kind of found their feet a little bit more in the game, I could hear Arteta shouting "Afuera," which means out in Spanish, and he was getting Leno to just just pump it long. I, did, I know that from Family Guy from Consuela which is massively xenophobic, I think. Um, so, uh, yeah, the he was shouting, get it out, get it out. And, you know, we're I like the fact that we're learning from our mistakes. We've clearly gone gone away and looked at that Spurs game and gone, 
hey, we weren't winning those duels. We weren't winning those second balls. We weren't trying to break the lines. We 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 allowed them to come onto us, and we allowed those those counters to happen. And it, it was it was a perfectly a, a perfect execution of that. Um, Son going off was great news for us, uh, but then Lamella scored, and that was. It was a great goal. And unbelievable. 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 What a piece. You know, I wonder why it's not been blocked because, you know, it's gone through party's legs. David Louise, if he's, you know, half a foot to the his left, I think he blocks it. And there seems to be a bit of a bunch up defensively. So while I can criticise that, I think that sometimes you have to just r- respect the the genius of it almost in that the Jermaine genius none of those none of those players will have expected uh would have expected it so of course they've all bunched up on that side yeah it's you know so as much as I can be like oh well you know there's a bit of a bunch up I feel like that's just nitpicking for nitpicking sake. it's a great goal because that like... was just it's a moment of pure it's a moment of pure brilliance yeah and like, I don't, it just is. Lamella's a it's prick fantastic. and he's not a particularly good player, but that was a great... And you have to just hold your hands up sometimes. I think sometimes people... Yeah, well, it's like, it's like Giroud and fucking scoring scorpion yeah, kicks. Yeah. Sometimes they, people just pull shit pull out, out of their arse and it's unreal. It's unbelievable, yeah. It was a great, really great goal. Um, and then we kind of had this period which I felt was very Arsenal in that we were absolutely all over them. There was a moment where I think, again, Smith-Rowe got down the left-hand side, pulled it back. Lacazette did some kind of weird step over just left it Dummy. thinking yeah he must have heard cedric from 50 yards away cedric hits the post um but then finally we got a bit of luck which i think that luck has been coming yeah uh, deflects off out of our old and it's um it's odegaard's first premier league goal and what a time to get it and at time literally in terms of the time it was 44 minutes in and, and a great time to score um yeah 100 percent. and also a time in, in a north london derby and he must love it and I think, you know, especially during that period, because we we, we'd start to kind of get a bit down that right-hand side as well, I sort of saw a bit of Pep's influence on Arteta with the cutbacks. I think they were working so well. It kind of reminded me of that Man City 17-18 uh, side. Um, yeah, just just a fantastic bit of play. And I was so glad we got through to, uh, to half-time level, at least, because we had been yeah. absolutely all over them. I just want to just read this, them. read this stat for you. Spurs have dropped 45 points from winning positions against Arsenal in the Premier League. The most of any team against a specific opponent in the competition. They're so Spursy. So like, Spursy. It's so Spursy. You love it. Ugh. It's so nice. You do love it. You know, I, I agree. I think in the sense that I, I, they, there's a conversation to be had about this game in particular that we're not that tactically we're still not learning from our mistakes slightly I, i'm not sure i agree i'm not think... having not as in like not having a goal threat like in that starting lineup it pre like if you were to just look at the starting lineup of that front four of smith rowe erdegaard saka and lacazette none of them are goal threats uh, lacazette is nominally i know what you mean but also if we if we'd start with Aubameyang... Though. He's the goal threat. Yeah. With Pepe on the bench, who came on and brilliantly unpicked their defence with the ball to Lacazette. You know, that we did just need. And I think Lacazette's game thrives off of having like a goal threat runner off of him. And that's how to get the best and the most out of him. And 
you know, which is why I've, I, I, it, it was a, it was a great decision to at half time bring on Pepe, especially because Reggion was on a yellow. I just, again, to be nitpicky about this, why wasn't he in the starting lineup? He's come on for the last four games and changed us completely and we've torn the teams that we're playing to part okay against Burnley we didn't get the luck you know we should have had a penalty and then Peters pulls off an amazing block against you know was it Olympi is it Olympiacos did he come on or yeah I think he did I think Benfica came on and changed the game in one, in one of the Benfica that was legs. it Benfica yeah. came on changed the game you know there, there have been so many moments where Pepe has come on and changed the game Burnley sorry and as well because so- remember he came on yeah. and yeah. That's what I said against Burnley because of the, Sorry, the Peters yeah. block and then yeah, the, yeah, the penalty. Yeah, yeah. But like, there's been so many moments where that substitution has changed the game. It gets to a point where I'm like, play him. Like, wh- why aren't you playing him? Even if it's a striker, why aren't you playing him? Because I can un- you can understand playing Lacazette in this game because, you know, as a structural thing... Tottenham aren't going to give you a lot of space. He's a bit more com- like combative. So it makes sense. But not playing a single goal threat and playing Saka again for 45 minutes of football that he did not need in his legs. It just, it, it again, poses this question of is Arteta learning from his mistakes or is he so obsessed with his own idea and wanting to make what he thinks is best work, even though it's not working, that it just doesn't matter. I, I think, I, I don't know if I agree. I, I, I think it is working at times. I think in this game specifically, I understand the reason not playing Pepe. You need technical security to win those second balls to keep the ball high up the pitch. But the the problem comes is that in every game, I can find a reason not to play Pepe. Does that make sense? So either Arteta has to find a way that Pepe can fit into this team and consistently play, or he needs to go in the summer. And that's fine. But the thing is, is that in every single game, I can kind of go, oh, I see why he's not played Pepe because there's going to be no space in behind. Or, okay, I can see why he's not played Pepe because we need technical security. Or I can see why he's not played Pepe because you've got Bamming on the left and Saka on the right, or whatever it is. I think at some point you have to go... I can understand why he isn't playing Pepe, but then that becomes a squad building conversation of, so then why is he still here? Because if he's not fitting in the system that Arteta wants to play, yeah. But there's a difference between specifically searching and finding reasons for the sake of it, because Pepe is good technically. Like he's not a poor technical player. You look at that ball that he's put in for Lacazette, it's it's dropped like like a pin to the perfect position. He he can run at players. He's got like a good finish on him. It's the sa- we could have this same conversation about Lacazette. We could be like, well, we shouldn't play Lacazette because then we're never going to score. Because realistically, I think what was it? His lo- he hasn't had a shot on target that hasn't been a penalty for something like nine games. So again, it comes from this idea of wanting to find an excuse or wanting to find a reason to say that the manager's right. When in fact, it's okay if he's got the decision wrong and the decision to bring on Pepe at half time is the right decision. Just like I think the decision to play Pepe from the start over Saka probably would have been the right decision. Resting Saka for the Europa League second leg and 
having a goal threat on the pitch whose main way of contributing to a team is scoring isn't like it that's what we're lacking in this first 11 so for as for the one reason that we can say oh well pepe doesn't win many second balls he's going to offer you so much more than just the detracting of that if that makes sense i i do uh, yeah i understand what you mean i i sit i still stand by what i said I understand what you mean, though, and I, but I think it, to me this comes down to a conversation of this guy doesn't have the re- required skill set, and that's not a comment on his skill set that it's bad or good. In the same way that David Luiz has a different skill set to Emmy Martinez to Davinson Sanchez, they all okay. They all have different skill sets, and for what Arteta is requiring, he needs something different. And and Pepe for me doesn't. When I sit, when I don't watch that, I, I in that first half where I'm singing three, technically massively secure players in Smithrow, um, Saka, and uh, and Erdegaard, who are winning those second balls, retaining the ball high up the pitch. Pepe is a moment and flashy player, and he has great moments. I'm not saying he isn't a technically good player; he is, but but he doesn't. He's not going to offer you what those players are offering you and winning those second balls, retaining the ball high up the pitch, getting to those, winning those duels. I, you know, it's not that he would never, but if you're asking me who's going to be better at it, those three are better at it for me. So then the question, so then the question then becomes Arteta is trying to, to, is, is trying a game plan and who is the best for those, those things. Often it ends up being three young guys and not this 72 million pound player. So then get rid of him. Do you know what I mean? Look, I understand what you're saying, but then there's two things for me, and one of them is a question for you. Then why does Pepe's skill set come on and change the game for us? Every because time. the game state, because of the game state, because but at the that game, point, the you, game you, state, you, the game state hasn't changed. We battered them for eighty minutes. We were on top of them has. for eight. No, the, we were on top of them for eighty minutes, creating chances down that left hand channel. We absolutely dominated them. We didn't dominate less when we brought Pepe on. The game state had changed in that when the when the game started, Spurs had sat a little bit further back. So we needed to win the ball high up the pitch. Those players, for me, are better at doing that. When Spurs found a bit more possession, they started to come out. They had a, they moved five, ten yards up the pitch. There's a bit more space in behind. Saka needs to come off anyway because he's feeling his hamstring. And then Pepe can attack. And also at that point, the game state had changed because Reguillon was on a yellow and Doherty um, was 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 struggling, massively struggling. So you could have put Smith Rowe on the right or the left. So at that point, Pepe's a good person to bring on because he's someone who's going to run at them and he's going to have a bit more space. Think of the Lacazette goal in your head right now. Think of the space that was in behind. That space that Pepe can exploit. Now he did that with a pass, but he could have done it with beating his man. Think of the first 10, okay. 15 minutes, there's no space in behind. And Arteta's spoken about this. And it's not to say, again, it's not to say that Pepe couldn't, for example, do the job that Saka was doing. He could do it, but just not quite as well. So then the question for me goes, why do we... Yeah. But then also the issue, the issue becomes, if all it takes is 15 minutes for Spurs to stop sitting so far back and relax into the game and find more possession, that's going to happen... And then we're not going to have the player to exploit but it. But we have Saka who can so, who can do that. He can do both. Of course, but Saka doesn't. Saka doesn't score. Really? Of course if he does. Like there has been some absolutely. There's been some absolutely golden opportunities in the last two three games that I can remember where he's either put it too far past the post, clipped the post, put it at the like. When was the last time Saka scored? 
Was it Saka scored six and Pepe scored eight this season? So I I, I, underst- yeah, I understand many, what you also, mean. The que- the, but then the question also becomes with that, how many minutes have they played? Because you can say Saka scored six, Pepe scored eight, so they're not that far apart. Yeah. Saka's been a mainstay part of and, this team and, for a hell of a long time. And you're right, longer. a minutes per goal for Saka is 452 and for Pepe it's 248. But Pepe is the goal scorer, I'm not denying that. But what I'm saying is if you ha- if you have to, if there's many different facets of a role, it's like if you're a manager, right? And you're an excellent man manager and you're an okay coach, but or you have someone... Or let's say your 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 man management is is ten out of ten and your coaching is seven out of ten. If you have someone else who is a ten out of ten on something else, but a four out of ten on the other thing, you're going to pick the guy who's just a little bit better in the other thing. Yes, you both have standout qualities. If 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 they go on to be managers and Saka is the better man manager, but Pepe is the better coach. If you're in a situation where you need a man manager, you'll go for you'll go for Saka. Do you see what I mean? Like it's not that the other guy doesn't have any of those qualities Saka can score a goal but he's more technically secure and he can do a job with the goal scoring of course and if we had a Bamiyang we've got a goal scorer on and I agree there's a need for a second goal scorer but we didn't but that's, that's but we didn't have a Bamiyang but the the, the the lineup would have been picked before but yeah anyway listen I I I understand. But again, why, yeah. but in your in your same conversation about game states changing, not picking a Bamiyang is a change in game state, meaning there needs to be a change in change in tactical decisions. And if I I don't really give a shit if you've told the eleven players that are going to play they're playing, and then you have to drop a Bamiyang, so then you also have to swap out, say Saka for Pepe, just because we're talking about these two players. I don't care. Because then you need to make that decision for the good of the club rather than Saka's ego or Saka's kind of confidence going forward. You just take him to the side and explain to him, this is the reason I've had to do this. It's nothing because of you. It's for the good of the team. And then Saka being the character that I think he is and that he seems to be, will just be like, yeah, fair enough. We'll get his head down and we'll get on with it. And by this same kind of margin, if we don't have somebody who we've got two players out of three. If we're talking about that, that three behind Lacazette that you're like Smith Rowe and Erdegaard, like you say, very technically proficient, win the ball high up the pitch can keep the ball higher up the pitch. And then we've got Lacazette who also does that. But then we've got no one who realistically threatens the goal. And it does just become an issue that time after time, Sometimes it is going to take 15 minutes for people to settle into a game and for then those opportunities and those moments to be exploited. But if the player is not on the pitch, he cannot exploit them. And we are, I think we also have to be very, very honest about how lucky we are to have won this game. You know, we've dominated and we have battered them, but we've scored a deflected goal that otherwise Loris probably saves. And we've got a penalty from a moment of just absolute madness from Davinson Sanchez. You know, whilst we can also then point back at games where we've been unlucky, it is important to understand that we have won this game again by even though we're making the same mistakes that we made against Burnley. It, it does start to become an issue when we're relying on 30-yard screamers, like from Erdegaard and Elneny, or deflections or penalties to score goals. That is a big, 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 big issue. And while I understand you, there, there can be this kind of 
ethos and chat about squad building and how we might not have the perfect player for that right or left hand side who can keep the ball higher up the pitch he's more technically proficient and can score lots of goals this is a hamstrung team that we have to put together and if that is the case then we have to just hamstrung it together put bandages around it and deal with it we can't have the excuse of saying, you know, well, we've got a bit of a put together back line with a David Louise who isn't particularly good at a lot of things, but we've got to play him because he offers us this. It's the same conversation with Pepe. If we're not playing a Bamiyang, even when we are playing a Bamiyang sometimes, we need that second goal threat. And whether it takes 15 minutes for, for an opponent to come 15 yards out, wait 15 minutes. Because at the end of the day, there will come a point, and we saw it when he came on the pitch, that he will make a difference, you know. And yes, game state's changed. We're, it's 1-1. He's up against the player with a yellow card. There's space in behind. But we're, we're still lucky. Lacazette still scuffed the shot, and Davinson Sanchez has clattered him down. And once you're getting to that, that point, when does Lacazette score? Isn't it like the, yeah, the 64th minute? There's 25 minutes left of the game. And... We've seen Spurs sit back for 40 minutes in a game before and, and then keep a clean sheet. Like, they can do that. They're good at it. So not giving somebody who is a goal threat a longer kind of space in, in like literal minutes and time to impact the game in this kind of game when we had no one else on the pitch for me is a mistake. Because while he may lose the ball 25% or 30% more than Saka up the pitch, he scores goals at double the rate that Saka does. So That's fair. I just personally don't agree. I just, I, For me, if I'm managing the, the, the side, I'm putting Saka on. Because I just think he offers... But I, as in, I completely understand and respect your opinion and I think it makes complete sense. I just think, for me, it's 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 Saka fills out more of the requirements and also I slightly disagree in that the the goals I uh, we're still not taking enough of our chances that that is something that's absolutely correct but in this specific game the Lacazette thing comes out of good build-up and Pepe playing an excellent ball that that's our quality and yes we get a bit lucky with the with the with the penalty but the Erdegaard thing comes out of another great bit of build-up and uh, down the left-hand side and okay it takes a bit of a deflection it's a bit lucky and whatever but you know, these are the fine margins we're talking about. And to be honest, I think sometimes, you know, as much as we'd love to score every single goal as a free-flowing, attacking, brilliant, you know, finished off with a lovely finish, in, in you know, in, in the six-yard box, if we're on top and those chances happen, I sort of, it, it doesn't feel, doesn't feel as much as a problem to me personally. I, look, I get, I, I do agree with you and I get what you're saying. The only issue then comes is when these chances aren't taken, when it's deflected past the post, when Davidson Sanchez wins the ball rather than takes the man, like with the Eric Peters moment. Yeah. You know, that's when it becomes a real issue. Yeah. And we don't have players that can finish. We, we, like, we, we are at the moment relying on wonder goals to get results and on bits of, and you know, lucky moments, because while we can say it's a good piece of build up, the reason we've scored with that Erdegaard goal is the deflection. Cause it's not a particularly brilliant shot. It's not like, but it's deflected in 
look, all of them count. And obviously, I'm absolutely gassed to beat Spurs. But I'm realistic enough to look at it and going, we've beaten them with a deflected goal and we've beaten them with a penalty. You know, we need to either... And again, it will just come in the summer, but we either need to play the player that we've got that we know can score goals at a rate of 280 minutes or whatever it is. Or we need to play our other star striker who can score goals. And because we had the option taken away from us that we couldn't play off, because, you know, the same argument can be played, uh, can be said about Aubameyang. Aubameyang doesn't keep the ball particularly well. He's got a poor first touch. And... Again, he's almost like an Alexis Sanchez in that he'll lose the ball 20 times a game. But if he scores a goal, it's, you know, we're all fucking hunky-dory. But we're not playing him, so we need to play the other guy. I I think that whilst you can make the argument that, obviously, I think Saka is a much better player if you were to just go... If you were to give them a fucking rating out of 10 and not take into context who's better at what and who's better at what, I think Saka's a level above Pepe. I I don't... I don't think that that's in question, but I think what's in question is the decision to drop the goal scorer in our team and then not replace that threat somewhere else. Whether that be because of ball retention or whether that be because of anything, because we are lucky. This, this, like on, in a, in an in an alternate universe, we're talking about this as a one nil loss because that deflection from Alderweireld has taken it out for a corner and. Like I said, Davidson Sanchez wins the ball and it's no penalty. And then we're fuming that Jose Mourinho has got one like over on us again. And we'll say, you know, we battered them, but we didn't take our chances. And, you know, we take the piss out of Jermaine Genus, but there's a there's a fucking brilliant clip of of him being absolutely bodied by Frank Lampard and Alan Shearer when he's saying uh, in the 4-2 loss uh, for them against Chelsea in the FA Cup last season where... Um, Jermaine Genus is going, you know, well, Spurs dominated the game. And Alan Shearer just goes, well, they, Chelsea scored four goals against the best defence in the league. Like, possession doesn't win you games. And that's true. While possession is great, it doesn't win you games. And We've... not having a <laughs> yeah. designated goal scorer on the pitch, just I, I think it just stresses me out because I'm like, we're going to just rely on a long shot or a, a deflection or, you know, or a piece of absolute brilliance. I hear you. I hear you. I, uh, listen, different strokes are different folks. I, I do understand. Uh, right, let's uh, get to the second half then. So Pepe came on, we kind of covered that. Um, I thought Davinson's... Davinson's Davinson, I think we covered it a lot, didn't we? Quite a bit. Um, uh, I thought Davinson Sanchez, especially considering his recent woes with the with the Gundogan, Gundogan I can't fucking speak, mate, or read. What's going on? Oh, mate, Davinson Sanchez had a good game. Um... I want to highlight Erdogan's average position, sitting slap bang in the middle of that right half space. Perfect for him. That's why I think, again, he had another great game. Uh, again, we're winning the ball high. Um, just to cover the, the penalty incident quickly, I think we're lucky, to be honest. I do think it's a foul, but, um, and and in that, you know, I don't think the, there's, a, there's a conversation around like, you know, he slices at the ball and he's not got the ball. Ultimately, he fouls the player in the box, so that's what it is. Do you think we are a little bit lucky in that if Davinson Sanchez, I don't know, it just it just felt a little bit like we got away with it slightly. Um, oh, of course we did, but that's it is a foul. It is a foul, as in because the ball is in play and he's fouled the player in the box. Whether it's the ball's in play because Lacazette yeah, sliced it, it yeah. halfway to fucking West London, yeah. 
it 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 doesn't matter. The ball's still in play, and he's still. Yep. And, you know, Lacazette yep. could turn into the fucking flash, sprint round and cap, uh, get the ball and then fucking score. It, it's unlikely to happen. It's not going to happen. But because the ball is in play and anything can happen, it's one of those things. So it is a penalty. Yeah. Um, I also love that they played Travis Scott. Oh, oh. I'm the highest in the room. Such a vibe. It was so good. It was such, such a vibe. Oh. It was um, a good penalty as well. Great penalty. Great. He puts it away. He says in the post-match, you know, he's taken a lot of penalties against Lloris. Uh, fantastic penalty um, definite second yellow for Lamella stupid decision I love that they're doing considering the one from Mane on Tierney earlier on in the season felt like a bit of karma for that definite second yellow just want to highlight the Harry Kane he should have been, uh, he's, he's committed so many so many second yellow challenges in that game though. I want to highlight the Harry Kane incident uh, I know you have something from your mate uh, to say um, it's just an awful and the, and the word something that came up on the Arsenal Vision podcast is the word privilege comes to the mind and I think that is absolutely right. Call it white mm-hmm. privilege, call it England captain privilege, privilege call it yeah. whatever it is. Whatever Harry Kane because, has got, yeah. the media should be on him like a fucking, on it like a car bonnet. That man has committed so many uncontested, unchecked fouls this season. Reckless fouls and as your well. mate it's not just little clips. Yeah. What's your, what did your mate say? Uh, my mate is a Spurs fan. Well, it depends, like, I saw a tweet about how the fact that this wouldn't this this challenge wouldn't fly in rugby. My my best mate from home spoke but about Gabriel did fly. A massive, <laughs> massive Spurs fan and but a massive rugby fan. So I, I asked him and I said, and we might play a clip. I'm not sure. Um, I asked him specifically if this happens in rugby, what what's the protocol? And he says, well, it depends on intent. Because at the end of the day, rugby is a full contact, full body sport. And if your intent is to to challenge the player, to tackle them, to try and win possession for your team. But then they pass it and you don't have the, the time or opportunity to get out of the challenge. It is what it is. There's nothing that can be done to kind of arrest your momentum and motion. You're already too far gone. It's it's like with Concord, there was the point of no return where once the plane hit a certain speed, it had to take off. It's that kind of moment where there's nothing that can be done. So it's fine. But then with this Harry Kane issue and my, my mate said, you know, it's definitely a card because there's no intent to play the ball. He's not looking at the ball. He doesn't check the ball once. He's looking at Gabriel. There's a good three to four seconds, probably not three to four seconds because it's slowed down, but there's a good couple of seconds from Gabriel passing the ball and the challenge. He leans his elbow into the back of him. And there is no attempt to block the angle of the pass. There's no leg stuck out to deflect the pass out for a throw or to intercept it. It is purely a challenge on the player that is that is malintended because he's not looking at the ball. There's no there's no attempt to play the ball. It is purely to knock the player out of the game in a dangerous fashion. And it's card worthy. And that's coming from a Spurs fan. And then he, he goes on to say in the text with me, he says, um, what was it? He said, anytime, babes, after I asked him about, like, obviously, the, to, to, to tell me what his opinion was, he went, anytime, babes, dirty fucker is Kane, ain't he? I'm like... And that's a Spurs fan. What uh, What the fuck is going on? Yep. 
Uh, Eric and they Johns. didn't even cover it. They didn't even fucking cover it. AFC 71 has said, at least uh, now if someone says, you know what a twat is, you can say Harry Kane. England captains get away with murder, but at least it wasn't all bad. Uh, for once, decisions went our way and mistakes weren't penalised. The spuds will feel they were robbed and that makes it sweeter. And then another one, Harry Kane at Sav Sav says, uh, Harry Kane is just another player in a long line of overrated England players. He couldn't complete a sentence, let alone be anywhere near a complete striker. I heard he's fallen out of Gabriel's pocket and down the back of the sofa. Which I loved. <laughs> Love it. Big hey, fan. love it. Fucking big, big fan. good. You know, because it does, like, I'm just, there was a, was it Tim Stillman? Did I send you a tweet from Tim Stillman about it? Like, he's just, it's, it is genuinely just reckless and disgusting. And again, you know, we spoke about, and I think that it, again, it comes into this kind of conversation that when people aren't held responsible for their actions, they continue their actions. And the fact that Kane has done this and, you know, I've seen Spurs fans on my Twitter feed try and claim that this challenge is due to him being frustrated at his team not winning the derby. One, it's not a challenge. And two, that doesn't give you an excuse to commit assault on someone. Fucking does it. Like, I don't care if you're frustrated. Like, we were frustrated when we were lumping in 30 crosses just to get them all headed out from Alderweireld. We didn't have Leno charging up the pitch to fucking headbutt Lloris, did we? Like, it's just dirty play. And the fact that he has been allowed to get away with it for so long, and again, he's been allowed to get away with it, just means he'll do it again and again and again. And until somebody, whether it's Gareth Southgate saying that while he commits these fucking dirty acts, he's not playing for England anymore, which he won't do because Gareth Southgate is a coward, or the media actually cover these issues or incidents and say, this is unacceptable, it will continue. Of course it's going to continue. Unless there is a conversation about punishment and having his attitude change towards it, he will continue to just be an absolute grotty wanker who has less professional honours than Yaya Sanogo. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, the last 10 minutes, let's just quickly go through it because we're already at an hour. Oh. Um Terrifying. Terrifying. And oh, that's probably man, the horrific. the biggest takeaway from today is that we need to start managing those situations better. Uh, it, and uh, a good thing about that is Arteta knows how bad that was. He came out afterward and said the way that we handled that is unacceptable. I think, you know, bringing Willian on, playing with 10 men probably wasn't a smart idea. But Yeah, I mean, against 10, you'd expect us to do better. And why take your striker off? Because the reason they came forward... I mean, it was a, it was a joke that, that we were playing with 10 men. Oh, I misheard. Very good. Did you did very you miss? Good. Yeah, you missed that. Very That's very very good. Very fun. But you know, it's. I just think that we were making some stupid decisions. Like in the ninety first minute, Willian's got the ball running down the left, and instead of just taking it into the corner and wasting time for another minute yeah. and winning a corner, he smacks it into a yeah. Spurs player, Ridiculous. and then they've got we the ball back. And you're just ball. like, stop being fucking idiots. Just keep the ball. And Harry Kane's two free kicks. I mean, I just want to highlight Gabriel. I mean, Kane hits oh. the post. And then heroic from Gabriel Magalhaes. Heroic. After Leno was wrong-footed by that free Unbelievable. kick. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Also, is it just me or is Leno quite small? He is. Yeah, he looks small, doesn't he? Yeah, there was a couple of shots. How tall is he? There was a couple of shots in that match where I was like, Leno is not tall. He's six foot three. Okay, so shorter than Gabriel. Or maybe the same height. 
Yeah, and uh, how tall is Emmy Martinez? Because I remember oh, him. Oh, Brad, get over it. <laughs> <laughs> Just as a fr- oh, he's six foot five, so he's got two inches on him. He's not. He's a big six foot five, though. You know, he's like a big like six foot five. He loves it. <laughs> Anything else on the game, Brad? Um, let me let me just check the notes. Oh, mate, I think party fitness wise looked a bit sloppy in that last ten. He's not had the best couple of games, worried. to be honest. He's, he's, he's I think it's fitness, but uh, and I've I've also just got written down that Jose is finished, and even in our worst season when we're this shit, they still sat back and could do fuck all. I just want it one more time. Spurs have dropped 45 points from winning positions against Arsenal in the Premier League, the most of any team against a specific opponent in the competition. We'll see you after this. News and views. Uh, Not loads for news and views today. Uh, Just wanted to highlight one thing. Uh, George Byrne, who said it's all about controlling the narrative. Uh, if Mourinho hadn't made it as a coach, he would have been an excellent spin doctor, which I think is a fantastic bit of analysis. He is really good at that, turning his like his failures and his mistakes into a refereeing yeah. decision. Yeah. Uh, that was it, really. Just just that we had we had a all, all, it was many all comments on Hurricane, so uh, we covered that. Uh, just want to do the Arsenal trivia before we go, which we always do. Um, so uh, I actually said 2014 in the last episode. Uh, in 2018, I meant Forbes estimated that the club was what most valuable? Where? Where do you reckon? Uh, I said something like three billion, uh, but you told me afterwards. Which shall I give the answer? We're the third most valuable in England, being worth US dollars 2.24 yeah. billion. It's a lot of wonga. But we're third, and also in 2018, we might have we might have gone down. Uh, but, you know, we're currently the 10th best team in the league, apparently. Uh, and the next question is, uh, where are we? One f- wait, Which wait, manager? Uh, oh, sorry, just before the next on. question. A fascinating thing to look at. I'll see if I can find it again. Um, the statistics from us post-Christmas, we're like the fourth best team in the league. It's just a shame that we paid, played like the fucking 17th best team in the league for the first three months of the season, isn't it? Like, <laughs> tragic. 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 Uh <laughs> Next question to have a think about is which Arsenal manager helped introduce formations, floodlights and shirt numbers, also adding white sleeves and brighter red to the club's jersey? Which Arsenal manager introduced formations, floodlights and shirt numbers to the uh, Football League, also adding white sleeves and brighter red to the club's jersey? I won't ask you that one, Brad, because I reckon you know it. Uh, Do you? I I think so. Okay, okay, we'll ask you next time. Uh, pleasure as always. Pleasure, my friend. We beat Spurs. Who cares? That was a good, that was a, uh, that was a good chat. I, to be fair, I think that I really enjoyed hearing your opinion on the whole Pepe thing. And while we may disagree and have discourse, I see where you're coming from. Hey, I do see where you're I coming from. I see where from. you're coming from. We respectfully I disagree. <laughs> I love you too, mate. <laughs> right. Uh, pleasure as always. As and we'll see you after Olympiakos. Up oh, the fucking guns. See you later, mate. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com. Find us on Twitter at DiffKnock and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks.
If you're serious about podcasting, Acast is serious about getting you paid. With millions of dollars paid to our podcasters, we're the best in the business in helping you make money from your craft on your terms. From ads and sponsorship by the world's biggest brands to getting paid directly by listeners through Acast Plus with subscriptions and one-time purchases, Acast offers more ways to earn revenue than any other platform. Join Acast with a three-month trial of our paid plan using the code JOIN. Just visit go.acast.com slash join. Sports Social Podcast Network.